This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass, powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler. Sitting to my right, that is Ryan Shumpert. Ryan, it's another Saturday where we are overlooking an empty stadium, although this time a much bigger win margin than we've done so far this year. Yeah, it really has, and I guess that's one of the things that stands out the most from Tennessee's 59-3 victory over UConn is that it's the best they've played against any of these lesser opponents this season, and uh, they certainly played really poor in that Austin P game. They started fast in the UTSA game but couldn't really sustain it for a, a full four quarters. Today they played really good, complete performance uh, on both sides of the ball, and really never never looked back. S- scored a touchdown in the second play from scrimmage, and uh, not that it was all perfect, but uh, not not a lot to sweat out for the balls in this one. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, UConn put that first field goal on the board in the first quarter, but otherwise it, it was all Tennessee from that moment on. Tennessee, well, actually, let me back up a little bit. We just recorded our stand-up show from the field. Of course, you can go and find it over on Rocky Top Insider YouTube account. But I was basically saying there's a couple different headlines you could take from this game. You could talk about Joe Milton's impressive first-half performance. You could talk about some of the big explosive touchdowns that Tennessee had. Maybe Nico Iamaliava coming in the second half. Or maybe just the three defensive touchdowns, which is a first at the University of Tennessee since they even started kind of keeping record back in 1949. But I'll ask you, what's your kind of biggest takeaway from this game? Where do you want us to lead off with? I guess it would probably be Milton in the offense just because, you know, I wrote about it in my three keys on Friday that, and again, the three keys for this game wasn't three keys for Tennessee to win. It was three keys for Tennessee to leave this game feeling feeling good about itself. And, you know, number one on that was for Joe Milton to play well uh, again and continue kind of the theme of how he's played the last few weeks where he's seemingly getting more comfortable and obviously not perfect. He's a quarterback with his flaws, but playing at a much higher level than he did in the middle of the season and, and even, you know, wins over South Carolina and Texas a and where he didn't play great in either of those games. So he continued that, and I think that's probably the thing that stands out the most to me when you talk about this performance and what it means going forward. Yeah, Joe Milton goes 11 of 14 for 254 yards, two touchdowns. And uh, to kind of tie it back to something I said a second ago, to me what stood out were the explosive plays, right? You you get the 82-yard run right off the bat from Jalen Wright. And I know that Joe Milton had really nothing to do with that one. But then he comes back, he hits uh, Ramel Keaton for a 60-yard touchdown. Later in the second quarter, he finds Squirrel White. That goes for another 82-yard touchdown. UConn was not in a place where they were going to scratch and claw their way back into this one, but those are really deflating plays for the opponent's bench, and that's a really inspiring play for your own, or Tennessee's own in this case. Those explosive plays are are, are big, and I think they're going to be big if Tennessee can maybe find some in the next uh, couple weeks. Definitely, and they've been missing that for a lot of the season, and they're super important for this offense because of this offense's red zone struggles. I mean, you saw an offense... For most of the season, that struggling to create chunk plays and they're struggling to cap off drives in the red zone with points. It was a bad recipe for an offense. And they were good in the red zone today, though it really wasn't even that many red zone opportunities because they scored on so many big plays. 
So uh, the big plays, uh, we saw that last week. They were huge. Uh, the Jalen Wright's long run and then the pass to Chaz Nimrod. It was good to see, for Tennessee's sake, to see them continue that. And, yeah, the one you talk about it being kind of back-breaking or momentum swinging, and, and the game was over at this point. But the one that really stands out to me, uh, Squirrel White's touchdown. It's 21-3, late second quarter. Uh, I can't remember the exact down and distance. I don't have it in front of me. But UConn punted on something like fourth and five, and it's at Tennessee's 45-yard line. Uh, kind of a, a situation where you thought this is – Probably a go-for-it situation, given how much they were down. And it was a good punt for Tennessee to score on the third play of the drive on an 83-yard touchdown pass from Milton to Dwight. Had to be demoralizing for UConn. Um, and it was also a really good throw over the middle, as you saw Milton do something he's kind of struggled to do this year. And then we knew Squirrel White has his game because he's so fast, but probably more you know yards after catch on that one than we've seen uh, White have most of this season. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody really uh, got above two receptions in the game except for McKellen Castles, but that's kind of more of an indication of just how the distribution went, right? And obviously Tennessee getting some players in in the second half, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. You mentioned that play from Squirrel White, that touchdown. I also think to myself, you know, just 64 seconds later, Tyler Barron picks up a scoop and score and takes into the end zone. I felt like Tennessee's defense was very opportunistic when they had the ability to this game. Uh, again, whether it be that play after a Tennessee score or coming out in the second half and getting back-to-back pick sixes, again, uh, everything we say today is going to be relative to the opponent, but yeah. very opportunistic plays from the defense that you would like to see maybe carry over for the final stretch of the season. 100%. And uh, you think about where those defense touchdowns came. I, I believe it was three defense touchdowns on four possessions that Tennessee's defense was on the field. So it got on a roll there. And... That's something Tennessee's defense has been good at this year. They've been much better at forcing turnovers. Obviously, they had the pick six that Kamal hadn't had against South Carolina that was in a huge moment and kind of flipped that game. So it's a continued theme. Obviously, it's a lot more radical today. This is Tennessee's been tracking football stats since 1949. It's the first ever time that they scored three defensive touchdowns and then the first game they've had with two pick sixes since Western Kentucky in 2013, and uh, again, that if I remember, that first half was crazy with a bunch of turnovers for Western Kentucky, maybe like four turnovers on five plays or something like that, so uh, that's a continued theme, and as we see Tennessee's pass defense kind of continue to struggle a little bit without Kamal Haddon, obviously the two big sixes were great, first, in the second half it was good today, but the first half left a lot to be desired, uh, ahead of a couple games that will face better passing offenses you can live with some of those mistakes. You can live with giving up some yards if you can be opportunistic and make plays. And Tennessee's done a good job of that all season. Obviously, today was probably the most radical example of it. Absolutely. You know, I think we obviously sound like a broken record, so we're not going to linger on it too long. But Jalen Wright, once again, a great day started by that 82-yard touchdown run on the second play from scrimmage. He ends with eight carries for 113 yards. But then otherwise, it was just an absolute slew of running backs or at least ball carriers in the game whether it be a Joe Milton, whether it be a, a, a Khalifa Keith who got in late in the game, so on and so forth. But that also kind of leads me to my next point. Because of those turnovers, because of the way that Tennessee was able to be opportunistic, they were able to get 14 points early on the board in the second half. We did not see Joe Milton at all in the second half. In comes Nico Iamaliava. Boy, did the people love seeing that. <laughs> and let's be honest, he gave them a reason to cheer by the end of that first drive. He did, yeah. The first touchdown pass of his Tennessee career, first touchdown of his Tennessee career. He almost had one in the opener against Virginia in the fourth quarter, and 
Uh, he was really solid tonight. I think we saw a little bit more of him than we have seen in the other two games that he played this season. Um, but we saw a lot of the same things that impressed from Ian Waliava earlier in the year, which was his ability to have a good feel for, you know, good internal clock for where the rush is at, get out of the pocket and be able to make plays on the run. And I think that's what will stand out to me the most on that drive. Uh, or maybe I think one of them was on the next drive. So in his two drives that he was in, Tennessee had thir- three third down conversions of yeah. over five yards where he made plays unscripted. Two of them, or one of them, he got out of pocket, threw it to McCollum Castles. That, I think, was just a play before McCollum Castles touchdown yeah. catch from him. Uh, earlier on that drive, I think it was started at nine, he scrambled up the middle for 25 yards, uh, made the man miss in the secondary. And then on the ensuing drive, one that it really looked like he was going to get sacked in the backfield, he kind of spun out of it a little bit and rolled right and threw a nice ball to Caleb Webb right at the sticks. Webb caught it. I think it was maybe third and eight again. Webb caught it for about nine yards and it did a good job spinning out of a tackle and running for maybe 10 more. So obviously you take all of it with a grain of salt, given the opponent, you take all of it with a grain of salt because it's such a small sample size. Um, but a lot of things to like about what Nico Yamaliava did. And it's kind of the same things that we already knew about him, but we saw it on a greater scale. Yeah, I, I thought he had good good pocket awareness, good pocket presence. Those are things that we have seen the couple of times that he's been out already. But I think those are also the things that we've been hearing a lot about Nico Iamaliava, whether it be from the coaching staff or his teammates. And today was a pretty good idea on putting that together and seeing how it happened. Nico ends his first, uh, uh, well, not first game, but Nico ends the game with his first touchdown pass going 5 of 9 for 86 yards, averaging 9.6 yards per attempt, and again throws in that aforementioned touchdown that we talked about a second ago. Certainly gave the the fans a reason to cheer. What else did you think about this game? Kind of what other standout takeaways did did you you come away with? Well, I guess I'll just go with a negative one because, again, it's hard to glean much from the positive in these type of games other than this. The fact that, again, you're seeing Josh Heibel coach teams respond well from big wins and tough losses. Uh, but, again, I kind of hinted at earlier. I thought the pass defense was pretty bad in the first half. UConn, I believe, ranks like 110th nationally entering this game with like just over 180 passing yards, maybe 184 passing yards per game. They threw for 177 in the first half. Now, about 35 of them came on a trick play that yeah. <laughs> uh, Tennessee didn't have defended well. So, obviously, that's a little bit of a different situation. But... And I thought uh, the quarterback for UConn, I'm blanking on his name already, Taquan Robertson, had a couple of you know nice throws when, when Tennessee had either good coverage or pressure on him, but still a unit that looked did not look good in their first game without their best corner, Kamal Haddon. Last week, you saw that continue in, in the first half of the day. And they got it going in the second half. They were better. Um, but that, again, was one of my keys. You wanted to see a, a bounce-back performance from secondary and it's hard to kill them. They did have two pick sixes, even though one of them was a linebacker. Uh, but I, I would say that they didn't necessarily inspire a lot of confidence heading into a matchup at Missouri next week uh, that will see them face off against one of the SEC's best passing offenses. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the key thing, right? You get done with this UConn game right here at the beginning of November. It's not going to be a standout game or anything on the schedule, but you know what comes next if you're Tennessee. And that's number 12, Missouri, and number two, Georgia, no matter how the rankings change. And then Vanderbilt's on the other end of that. But obviously these next two games are are extremely important for Tennessee. Ryan, you talked about a second ago, just kind of the secondary. Something it seems like, and something we've talked about a little bit, is the opponent kind of attacking Tennessee in the middle of the field with short to medium range passing. Do you think that's something that, that 
people are going to try to exploit? Do you think that's just, uh, you know, the nature of how these two games went? Do you have any thoughts on, on just kind of that right there? Yeah, that's a good question. Probably a little bit outside of my football knowledge depth. I would think some, just from the fact that Tennessee, without Kamal Hatton, has played a lot more zone defense than they did beforehand, and there's an opportunity Especially Tennessee's young linebackers are not great in pass coverage at this point. So there's a, a good chance to kind of attack them over the middle with more short stuff than intermediate stuff and then kind of getting some run after catch. So both Connecticut and Kentucky have very limited passing offenses, which made it make sense for them to throw these kind of low risk uh, short passes and potentially let get some yards after catch. Missouri is better passing the ball. Kentucky, while they're not great, or excuse me, Georgia, while they're not great passing the ball, is still better than both these teams throwing it. So I think you might see some of it uh, just because Tennessee's looked vulnerable there, but maybe not with the same emphasis that we've seen the last two weeks. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair thought right there, and I, I'm very much in agreement with you. Man, a 59-3 game, it, it's, sometimes it's hard to find these takeaways, right? Well, we're so used to these SEC games where just so much happens. Uh, and, and this was a game that Tennessee got to empty the bench out a little bit. And again, I, I think that's important for them to do because they don't really get that opportunity earlier in the season. Not that you need it right now or not that it's always beneficial at, kind of at this point in the season, but you do get a chance just to see what some of these other players have, give them something to hang on to as they go through the rest of the season and then, and then into the offseason after that. Uh, but just looking at this box score, I mean, it, it is double the amount of what UConn's is on the other side. So Tennessee certainly got to empty the bench out a little bit. That's always a good thing. Um, other, otherwise, um, just kind of looking at things, uh, Tyler Barron grabs a, uh, uh, finds the end zone after a, a couple yeah. of missed chances over the last couple of years. He, he's definitely sounded excited about that during the postgame press conference. Uh, what else? Any other kind of final thoughts and well, takeaways? Well, just kind of going off of what you said, one guy – I think I said this on the podcast. I wanted to see the young corners, or at least Ricky Gibson, and he played a lot, even starting in the first half, and I thought he played well. Uh, he did have a defense pass interference on fourth down in the second half, so it wasn't perfect, but uh, I liked his ball skills. He turned his head on some deep balls, and he also came up in screen game and made a nice tackle. So he's a guy I think if Tennessee's pass defense is struggling next week and they're rotating, kind of searching for answers, I wouldn't be surprised to see if he gets a shot. Yeah, he ended with four total tackles on the day, three solo tackles, and, and, and that's only two spots behind the leader, who was Elijah Herring, who, who was flying all over the place. He had eight total tackles. So not a bad game at all for the young cornerback. And, and again, this is the great opportunity to get some of those guys in, see what they have, uh, maybe gain a little bit more confidence if you do need to use them later in the year. Uh, but there's a lot of big names that, that people are going to be talking about. I, I would imagine Nico Iamaliava being <laughs> at the top of that. Definitely, definitely. Yep. All right, well, any other, uh, any other final thoughts? I mean, we're sitting here watching this Missouri-Georgia game. Georgia's up 17-13, to 13, although by the time that people listen to this, I'm sure the game will be over. Uh, but, man, two, two strong teams that Tennessee ha- has to go to the next two weeks. Going to Columbia next week, and then you get Georgia at home the week after. But uh, this is the SEC East right here. Yeah, it is. And it, what stood out to me is Missouri just had a Tennessee situation in Alabama where Georgia scores to take the lead on the on Georgia's first drive of the second half and then I don't even know what Missouri did it was kind of weird they returned it out to about I think the seven yard line the suit kickoff and then they held getting out to the seven yard line so they started on the three yard line just kind of like Tennessee did against Alabama unlike yeah. Tennessee uh, Missouri ran for about nine yards first play and they're moving the ball <laughs> yeah I mean they're, they're at their own 25 they're, they're about they've they have a nice drive going and they're about where they would have started if they just would have taken the touchback but uh yeah that, that's kind of what stood out and 
We'll obviously see what happens, but a competitive game through two and a half quarters. All right, my friend. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. We still got more work to do. Of course, you can go and check out our post-game instant reaction video from the field of Neyland Stadium. You can go and find that on the Rocky Top Insider YouTube account. Uh, and, of course, you can go and find Rocky Top Insider on all different social media platforms. But make sure you're checking in with www.rockytopinsider.com each and every day for the top Tennessee news notes and coverage. We still got a lot of post-game stuff to get to. We got some more takeaways to get from this game. Talking about Nico Iamaliav a little bit, previewing the two games coming up. There's a lot going on in this final stretch of the season, so we will have you covered for the whole thing as we continue to roll through. Otherwise, a little bit of a shorter post-game episode today. I think that's fair. Tennessee ends the game with a 59-3 victory over UConn, moves to 7-2 on the year, 5-0 at home, uh, and we'll see where that ranking goes as Tennessee stares down a matchup with, uh, with Missouri coming up next weekend in Columbia. So, with that all being said, let's go ahead and wrap it up get out of here. Ryan, thank you very much for all your help. Uh, for Ryan Schumpert, I'm Rick Butler. You've been listening to the Rocky Top Insider Instant Reaction Press Pass. We'll see you back for the next one.